Today we're going to finish up the defensive armor here in the armor of God. This is our fourth study uh, in five, and it is our second study in the defensive parts. We'll pick up in verse 14. If you turn there in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 14, and the defensive armor of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak through his word. Lord, we have come again just to simply put Uh, this half hour or so aside, that you might speak your truth into our lives. And so, Lord, we give you our full attention. We ask that you would take your word and now implant it into our hearts, our minds. Lord, so that we'll be well defended. This world is is seeking uh, to destroy. And, Lord, the enemy is roaring as a lion, and we just simply want to be prepared and well defended. And so, Lord, uh, give us great... And, and wonderful retention uh, of your word as we go forth in our, in our lives. Would we be structurally sound as we proclaim your gospel to a dying world? We bless you, praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people all said, Amen. Amen. Verse 14, it says, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now remember, we've already seen the girdle, the waist belt of truth. That's how we make sure we have the the truth to combat the lies. And so now the other four pieces and the first remaining piece, the the breastplate, or as kids often say, the blessed plate. Yeah, I, I actually like that very much, the blessed plate of righteousness. And, and see, this is very much like God's bulletproof vest. We had a number of law enforcement agencies here yesterday, and, and you'll notice most of the time you'll see they kind of look a little thick in the chest. That's because they're wearing some body armor, and it protects centrally one chief organ. You all know it is the heart. Amen? It was the same during the Roman times. The breastplate really covered chiefly the heart, because that was where the most damage could be inflicted, and so it is spiritually in our lives as we live them out here on this earth. It's protecting that vital organ. It was made out of then either uh, chain mail or leather. It had all kinds of little component parts that perhaps uh, we could look at and elaborate on. But realistically, what does it actually mean to have our hearts guarded by the righteousness of Christ, because that is the piece of the armor that we're looking at. Our defense is who we are in Christ. And can I remind you there that Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 speaks to us that the righteousness that we now walk in is not actually ours. Amen? It was a gift of God. It came to you because Christ is perfect and He is righteous. And that righteousness now clothes us. It covers us. And so we actually now possess His righteousness. It covers us. And it says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For He made Him, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, our positional righteousness is because of Jesus. Amen? We need to remember that because in us still dwells no good thing. We're still sinners desperately in need of a Savior. We're just saved sinners possessing the righteousness of Christ. And so as we live out our lives, we're guarded because our hearts are covered by Him. We're marvelously protected in His righteousness. 
And as we look at this, we have a couple of different pieces of that righteousness. We have the positional righteousness, which comes from who we are in Christ. But we also have practical righteousness, which is the righteousness that we, because we're in Him, should live out for Him. Amen? That's the practical righteousness that should be the outflow of our lives. Then if you remember James' commentary on faith, which is attached to our righteousness, we'll get to faith here in a minute, but our faith, our faith without works is dead, amen? And in fact, he would go on to say, look, let me show you the faith that I have by the works that I do. In other words, if I am in Christ and my heart is guarded and I am being guided by the Holy Spirit, then out of my life ought to flow that practical righteousness because I'm covered. I'm good. God is at work in my life. And so this next piece, the breastplate of righteousness. And look, we all have an old man that still lurks every once in a while. Amen? We saw that back in chapter 4. You've not so learned Christ, it says there in verse 20. goes on to remind us there in verse 22 that we've put off our former conduct. So we should have that righteousness of the Lord. It's a comparative tool that we can look at and go, man, that's not much like Jesus. And so I, I walk in that righteousness of Christ. Satan's the accuser. And so what does he accuse? How does he come against you? When you have those thoughts that you shouldn't have, the old man's there, and all of a sudden that righteousness affects your life, guess what happens? You all of a sudden bear witness that the truth is actually in you because you are not who you used to be. Amen? Amen. That's what happens when you become a child of God. You possess an unnatural righteousness that's been given to you as a gift because of what Christ did on Calvary's cross. And so that righteousness then pops up instead of your old dead flesh. That's a very different thing than what used to happen, amen? That old flesh used to well up and all of a sudden, boom, there you were. We no longer live that way. As Paul would say later in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, by that armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, we have honor instead of dishonor. We have a good report instead of an evil report. So we have that amazing righteousness of Christ that covers our heart. Our hearts used to be open to an attack. The enemy could accuse because we didn't live righteously. Amen? That's why you have the most assurance. Brothers and sisters, hear this well. If you want to increase the assurance in your life of who you are in Christ, then give God your best. Live holy, live righteous, live obedient to his commands, because when that righteousness comes out of you, you can say, hey, that's Jesus, that's not me. And all of a sudden you're going, yes, I am in Christ. Here's the proof, I live it. The next piece of the defense, I like to call these the gospel cleats. We're in football season, amen? Uh, my team may be coming to Carson, just saying. They're getting beat probably by the Baltimore Ravens right now, but what can I say? But you remember back in the old days, the, the, the days when football was on a dirty, muddy field? And I'm kind of, a, I like the old throwback games to where everybody was wearing real cleats. Now they wear these fakey AstroTurf things that are basically tennis shoes. Those are not real cleats. 
Bring back the real cleats, the one-inch long ones, where you'd see those games to where Chicago was playing New York, and it was in Chicago, and it was almost winter, and it was kind of frozen and muddy. And, just, and you know what they would wear? They'd wear these gigantic cleats. Why? Because it wouldn't have been so good in skate shoes, amen? They'd be standing, I don't care if you're getting a three-point, you, you could lay on your face, they're still going to be able to push you wherever they wanted you to go. You need the gospel of peace to cause you to stand. You see, the Roman soldier would wear a sandal that actually had hobnails, a little tiny nail that would come out of the bottom of the sandal. And that was to prevent them from being pushed back. So when they held out their spear, when they held out their sword, when they held out their shield, they could press forward instead of backwards. We call that going backwards, backsliding. Amen? You see, if you have God's peace in your life, it keeps you from being easily pushed away, easily pushed back. You get in your stance, you say, look, I'm going forward because of who I am in Christ. I have the gospel of peace that does that. I have the peace of God. You you see, the world offers no such thing, does it? You see, the world does not offer peace. Let me show you how that works. Does materialism offer you peace? It does not, does it? Watch those, the, the, I, the, the lifestyles of the rich and silly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I have 175 foot. Well, I have a 215 foot. Yeah, well, I bought an island. Well, I bought two islands, and I have a bay between my islands, and my bigger boat fits in my islands better than your bigger boat fits in your island, so I have more things. But they don't have peace. Materialism can't provide you with peace. It can give you circumstantial relief in the moment for a certain set of feelings, but it cannot give you peace because real peace, Jesus said, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives you peace, but I give you my peace. And that's a different kind of peace because it's a peace between you and God. And no matter what happens to you and no matter when it happens, the very worst thing that humankind can come up with, you lose your life, winner, You go home, amen? That's called peace. It doesn't mean that you don't go through struggles. It doesn't mean that things don't bother you. But you have an eternal perspective that comes from the fact that you are now a believer in Christ Jesus, and the guarantee is eternal life. That kind of peace. Humanism cannot do that. If you're trusting in humankind to fix the world, oh my. We're not doing such a good job, amen? If you're, how about those who believe in nihilism, you know, that just basically nothing matters? You think they have peace? Nothing matters. How about those who wander around the world and they believe in socialism, that we can somehow collectively come to something that works? We can't get Congress to do the right thing, much less the whole world. The gospel is the gospel of peace because I now have a right standing with God. It's good between me and Him. So everything else now has its right place. If I'm good with the Lord, I'm okay here. Even if bad things happen, I'm still good because I have my feet. I'm able to stand and withstand. Satan's declared war. This world is not a friendly place to the believer. Amen? We're going to go through stuff. But he's overcome this world. He's conquered this world. 
And so we now walk in that peace even though there is a declared war. That's why people think we're a little bit, you know, a little touched. What, you're not concerned? Well, no, not really. Because this world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? You, You see, that's that eternal perspective that comes from the gospel of peace preparing you to stand. Yeah, you could just stand. You're not going to be pushed back easily. You, you see, here, here's the thing. We need to push forward. If we're going to push forward, the things that draw us back are the call of the world, the cry of the world. Amen? In Greek mythology, if you like such things, you remember the sirens, and they would cry out to the sailors in the Aegean Sea, you know, come over here, it's really nice. And actually what they were was Scylla and Charybdis, a couple of very large rock formations, and and the boats would crash on the rocks and be dashed to pieces. Oh, it sounded good. The sailors are going, hey, there's some hot chicks over there. Let's sail that way. And then the next thing they saw was granite. You see, that's the world. And without God's peace, you're prone to go that way. But there, if you remember the story of Odysseus, Odysseus remembered the siren song. And so what did he do? He put wax in his ears. Told the rest of the sailors, hey, cram some wax in your ears so that when the siren song comes, you ain't going to hear it. That's God's peace. The siren song will come. It's going to get played. It'll be in those old tunes from high school. It'll be in that old relationship on Facebook. It'll be the, the, the tent. We've got tax season coming up. Isn't that fun? Sure, I have a business deduction for my dog bowls. The siren song will be played, but the gospel of peace is, look, I'm standing in Christ Jesus, and therefore, having done all to stand, I'm standing. That's that defense. The next piece, the shield of faith, and obviously, this one is really, you'll notice, it's the only one that can be added to all the rest. It is also the only one that can be moved from place to place wherever it is needed. Because you can add, notice what it says. Look at, look at how it's, it's put forth to us. And above all, no matter what else you've got going on, above all, added to all, in addition to everything else that is your defense in the Lord, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. You see, faith can be added to your salvation experience, can't it? It doesn't make it so that salvation isn't anything. It's not you. It's still God. But when I have faith that my salvation is true, I can stand stronger. When I have faith that God's word is true, I can stand stronger. When I have faith that my waist is girded with truth, I am actually stronger. You see, it can be moved to wherever the enemy attacks. If the enemy comes against your mind, you can use faith. If the enemy comes against truth, you can use faith. If the enemy comes against your salvation, you can use faith. You can add it to everything else. And so this picture of this wonderful, moving, defensive piece, what's in view here was a typical Roman uh, shield, and it normally two foot by about four foot. 
It was usually made out of wood of some kind, sometimes just a framework, and very dense leather. That dense leather could be dipped in water, made wet, so if someone shot a fiery arrow at you, which normally would have had either pitch or tar or something on it with some type of fibrous material, and they would light those on fire, you see you're not going to be able to quench anything unless you have the shield of faith. That's the picture. So when the enemy fires that dart at you, and, and all you've got is you, bing! It sticks, and then it catches fire. Isn't it crazy how the enemy can shoot a thought into your mind, and the thought itself is somewhat benign? And then it starts to burn. Well, you know, maybe evolution is true. I mean, after all, the U.S. Forest Service says so. I just got National Geographic, and, and they found another bone. It's like this long, in the middle of the Olduvai Gorge, somewhere in Kenya. And of course, that makes a whole person. Everyone knows that. And all of a sudden, you start to have your mind attacked by that fiery dart. Well, there's vast distances in our galaxy. So there must be vast amounts of time. You see how that shield of faith can come in really handy because that fiery dart, it's like, oh, that's right, in the beginning, God. So before there were stars, before there were subatomic particles, before there was anything, there was a God who created everything. You see, it's above all. Your mind's being attacked. Your faith is being attacked. You're, you're being pushed, hopefully the, from the enemy's perspective, to push you back. Then all of a sudden you take out the shield of faith and quench that dart. You, you see, we're supposed to have an undivided loyalty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That requires that we stand. And that requires that when those things come and they attack our minds, they attack our salvation, they attack the truth of God's Word, that we take out the shield of faith and say, oh no, it doesn't work that way. I'm going to have done all to stand. And you can take and then put that shield wherever it needs to go. I love what T.S. Eliot said, died in 1965, but one of his wonderful quotes, the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. Amen? How far will you go to stake your life on your belief? You see, you're going to be attacked. In our world, uh, the attack comes very often against our minds. And notice what Hebrews 11 reminds us of, and if you want to turn there, you can, because I just want to simply share this truth with you. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. And now faith is the substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Every single person in this room exercises faith on a daily basis. Did you know that? Every one of you. I can tell you when you came in, when you sat down in this service, you exercised faith in a company you did not even know existed. You didn't know their name. It's called Cardinal Church Furniture. They manufactured the pews in which you sit. They're the ones that covered them. 
They're the ones that installed them initially. You exercise faith that they did exactly what a pew is supposed to do, and that's to provide a place for the lower half of your body to be resting while you're sitting here. But you don't know them. You do the same thing when you get in a car. Not many of you in here are probably automotive engineers. Probably not many of you actually work in an assembly line in a plant assembling cars. You haven't got a clue if your car was wonderfully designed. You do not know. You have no idea who even made it. And yet you trust it to drive down the freeway. And yes, I've seen some of you at 90 miles an hour. (laughs) Speed limit is 55, folks. Guilty. Yeah. And, and, well, you know, you've got faith. Why am I telling you this? Because your faith must have an object. You have faith in things whether you believe it or not. All faith must be objective. Otherwise, it's not faith. Faith has to have an object. It's something, someone that you trust in. You've trusted in the engineers who designed the pews, designed your cars. How about the people who pack your food? You ever been to a food packing plant to see if they do it right? You're over there. Scarf. You don't ask. You don't sit down and say, well, honey, who made this? You have faith. How about that faith being placed in Christ? How about your faith in God? Now faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, is the substance of things hoped for, believed in, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. You see, he's going to go on to talk about Abraham and all of the wonderful patriarchs, that amazing hall of faith. But I want you to see two words, substance and evidence. There is substance to your faith. And there is evidence of your faith. You have substance and you have evidence. How many of us in here used to be alcoholics or drug addicts? How many of us were in relationships we shouldn't be in and God delivered us? How many of us used to swear? You didn't even know that there was such a thing as the actual English language, amen? And, And then your mind got renewed. God did something in your life. You see, there's substance and there's faith. There's evidence and there's faith. You have an object. That object is Jesus Christ because you are being renewed in your mind by Him. And so your life that was, that old man, that old woman, that old person, now is not the same person. You're different. There's substance and there's evidence to the faith that you believe. How far will you push it? You see, that's the shield. Notice what it goes on to say, and I don't want to belabor this, but verse 3, by faith we understand. Check this out. You didn't know that your Bible was a science book in some areas. Check this out. This was 2,000 years ago, by the way, and I'm pretty sure that microbiology and, as we would call it today, particle physics, those types of things, certainly nuclear technology didn't exist. For we understand by faith that the world's were framed by the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
Notice what he says. Pretty amazing statement. I guarantee you nobody was sitting around going, hey, I got a particle spectrometer. I just was checking this out. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, there's atomic particles and molecules and even smaller subatomic particles. Everything that is is made of stuff that you cannot see. Did you know your Bible said that? That's to encourage you and to remind you that there are things that God knows that you don't. Because mankind didn't know that then. Mankind had zero idea that that was actually true. And yet, not only was it true, it was perfectly true. Because the entire universe is made up of things that you cannot see. It should bolster your faith. It should cause you to realize, hey, there's evidence that I can rely on for my faith. There's substance to it. And I can take that shield and I can just put it all over everything. Praise the Lord. Please regard your faith as real. You don't have faith in faith. You have faith in the creator of heaven and earth. You have faith in the one who fashioned the stars. You have faith in the one who came up with the divine plan to send Jesus Christ to this earth that in his righteous life you have been hidden in Christ because we aren't righteous by ourselves amen know about you but I'm not I need Christ I need him faith is to be regarded as real it's it's this unbelievable process you know when you go out fishing you use fishermen's glasses we have these special polarized sunglasses it helps you see the fish How do you see stuff underneath the water? Night vision goggles. You go into battle before night vision goggles were invented during the Vietnam War. You went into battle at night. You couldn't see a thing. Now we can see through thermal imaging almost the same as during day. Colors aren't there. But you can see. How many of us wear glasses? What do they do? They correct deficiencies in our vision. Amen? So that we can see correctly. That's what faith does. Faith corrects your spiritual vision. Faith allows you to see the unseen plans of the enemy. Faith allows you to see things that lurk underneath the surface. Above all, take the shield of faith. And then the helmet of salvation. And take up the helmet of of salvation. You see, the enemy wants to come against your mind. That's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. Amen? Do you remember how he attacked Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? No, he was just just messing with you. He doesn't want you to become like him, so he's telling you a fib. He's lying to you. Because he knows the moment you eat of that tree, you'll become just like him. The enemy's still doing the same thing. He's attacking our minds. As I said before, you pick up, pick up an issue in National Geographic going, man, oh, the world. He, honey, did you know the world is 13.7 billion years old? And all of a sudden you're trying to mix that with your faith? Look, if the Lord is who he says he is, 
He doesn't need billions of years. He doesn't need billions of years. Amen? He can still do miracles. He can make things out of nothing. No one else can do that. Just a little heads up. Satan comes after our minds. And so we put on that saved state that we have in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, we we remember the promises of God. We remember what He said in His Word. We're going, look, that's not who I am in Christ. I cannot explain everything. People will come to me very often and say, well, you know, I want you to discuss this part of physics with me. I'll usually do okay. I'll say at the end of the day, you know what? You still need faith. The evolutionist has more faith than I do. Did you know that? Because the evolutionist actually believes that nothing produced something and then that something got very ordered. That's what an evolutionist actually believes. An evolutionist believes that somehow there was nothing and it became something and that something then got very ordered by chaos and long periods of time. My Bible says, in the beginning God, who dwells outside of space and time, the creator of everything, could make anything that he wants because he's outside of space and time. So my explanation is actually far more scientific than theirs. Now you can skip over that, which is what they do. The evolutionist said, well, we don't know how the singularity happened. We don't know where it came from. I do. His name is Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And in the beginning, God. So all this stuff that you're haggling over in the billions of years, to me, I don't really care whether there was billions of years or billions of minutes. I just believe what God said. I'll take his word on it. The fact that I can't explain all the minutiae doesn't affect my standing in Christ. I just believe that God wouldn't lie to me. God would not lie to us. And so he's left us sufficient evidence that we might see him. The whole first chapter of the book of Romans. You see, the world right now is worshiping the creation instead of the creator. But in that wonderful salvation that we have We see His love. We see His forgiveness. We see His cleansing. We see His power. We see His abiding nature. We see His character. We see all of that as our minds are guarded by who we are in Christ. You see, in essence, my worldview is shaped by who I am in Christ, not the other way around. I do not fashion my Jesus into somebody who fits into the world system. My Jesus does not fit into this world system. He is one of one. And so when I walk in that salvation, when I realize who I am, I've been taught that truth principally by the Word of God. We've already seen that back in chapter 4. We, we took that truth in. And you see, unscrupulous people, Peter would say, speaking of the Apostle Paul there in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, he would say, you know, people are going to start tearing apart Jesus. They're going to they're try and speak of these things. Some of them are hard to understand. But they're going to try and destroy the Scripture. They're going to try and destroy your salvation by attacking God. I would say to you, that's exactly what's going on in our school system right now. Attack God. It's not better science. It's just simply attacking God. 
There's no room for you to have a Christian worldview. We need to stand strong in Christ. We need Christians to say, look, my mind is an important part of who God made me, and I'm going to use it for his glory. The promises of God's word will never fail us. And so we need to put that defensive armor on. We need to make sure that we have our waist girded with truth. We need to make sure our hearts are covered. We absolutely have to stand in peace. We definitely need the helmet of salvation. And above everything else, wherever you need more faith, ask God to give you more faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we again just turn our attention uh, to you. Lord, now take your word and help us to live it. God, help us to go into the workplace and, Lord, into our homes, Lord, into this country. May we take both our minds and our spirit. Lord, will we be able to walk in faith but also walk intelligently in this world? We pray that you would use, Lord, these defensive pieces, God. Would we never slide back? Lord, would our hearts always remember that our righteousness is not our own? Lord, would your truth be girded about our waist? Would our minds be covered? by who we are in Christ. And God, just increase our faith. We need more faith, Lord, to walk with you in these days. And so we ask that you would bless us. Pray that there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, that today that might be that day that that gospel, that good news, the Lord produces fruit in their life that would lead them to that relationship with you. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.